Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, you'll hear more feedback from grantmakers about how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on May 20th. The topics covered were lessons from the 2008 financial crisis, how to balance immediate versus long-term needs, and supporting grantees through this crisis. All right, let's join the conversation. The first voice we are going to hear is Aaron Spevacek, who was the webinar moderator, followed by Sierra Stansel from the American Savings Foundation. Let's go ahead and ask you all to weigh in on what lessons can be learned from the 2008, uh, any other previous economic downturns. So we know that a number of people on the call were making grants the last time the economy um, took a, you know, took, took a fall. So what can we learn from that? I've got some particular questions, but I'm really actually interested, more, more interested in hearing what you all think about this. And if you have particular questions, go ahead and raise your hand. My name is Sierra Stansel, and I work for the American Savings Foundation in Connecticut. Um, and one thing, something that happened, and now I wasn't, I wasn't with the organization in 2008. Um, and I think what I'm getting ready to say is helpful and indicative of that is um, a framework was developed then to prioritize um, our spending and giving by program. And, and so this was developed kind of based on the um, foundation's mission and in accordance with our guiding principles. Um, and so today, as we stand, American Savings Foundation has a scholarship program. We have our program grants program, and that's kind of divided into our program grants and our after-school grants. We have a community grants program, which is to serve our wider and not necessarily our primary service area. And then we have our capital grants program. And so essentially because of the reduction in giving, because of the budget going down from our endowment, um, what we did is say, okay, um, the, the, and the community grants didn't exist then, but it, it exists now. Um, we're saying our, we say we, we prioritized, you know, um, essentially the scholarship program, which is our, uh, you know, our commitment to, to students then the program grants program, which did then include the community grants and the capital grants last. So we just kind of prioritized sure. um, what funds were available. And so we, we have resolved that that is, that is what will take place at this point if we see a similar adjustment of our budget. Gotcha. That's interesting. And, and I'm curious, I know you weren't there at the time, but mm -hmm. learning about it now, would you have predicted that order if you sort of came in with a fresh slate? Or, I mean, is, is, it, is, it, is it inherently that we do students' community capital? Or are there other ways of looking at it that, that you all have thought about? Well, um, I mean, I think, I think our leadership has done a really good job of uh, taking – so, you know, every organization um, – has a, a mission and a goal and um that is definitely was definitely taken into consideration with that prioritization um but then also 
right? Like, how do you balance that with community need? Well, I mean, in reality, um, people aren't necessarily looking to wage large capital campaigns right now, particularly in Connecticut for some political reasons. Um, but to a certain extent, those things just kind of fall into place um, because uh, at the, you know, the priority probably will uh, remain with more so in our in our program grants, you know, earlier you were talking about adult diapers. That's something that we would fund out of our program grants uh, program. And so um, it, it, there's always a balance, right, between like what the community wants and needs and your mission. And um, I, I think that our leadership does a good job of, has done a good job of, of aligning that well. Um, but that's just kind of how it's, how it's, shaken down and, mm-hmm. and I, once again i agree with this framework i think what the having a framework like this does is it um it it helps to sort of lower anxiety at a time where more snap decisions are being made sure and you know it, it's not unlike it reminds me when i was doing nonprofit management of some of the frameworks we would create just to help evaluate you know okay there are three programs we could start where do we put our time right we have at least one other hand raised so let's Move on, Sierra. Thank you. I'm with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. In 2008, when we went through the economic downturn, it was a um, a really scary time, um, and, and it was a time where we learned a lot. Of, uh, as a foundation, we really learned a lot. Um, one uh, thing that happened with us, the biggest lesson, was the fact that we were. Uh, up until that time, we were doing long-term commitments of five and six-year uh, authorizations for our commitments to uh, for projects. And so uh, the organization would release, our payment release was not all at once. So they, it was like the first year would be released. Um, when the downturn came, we found that we were stuck with a lot of inventory, uh, you know, uh, for commitments we had already made, but the money was still sitting uh, on our side of the fence, the majority of the funds. So that was a big lesson to us. Um, uh, After that point, we started to do shorter term commitments uh, because we could not predict, um, nobody can predict what the economy is going to do. And also it made it uh, uh, better able for us to uh, increase our pool of grantees and, and um, uh, make commitments to more than just the few usual um, uh, organizations that the, you know, that the, uh, the uh, foundation historically was funding. Um, and then the other thing um, was uh, we went through after the uh, 2008, we went through uh, an introspect period where the organization itself um, reorganized and reevaluated um, uh, the areas that we were funding. We, we uh, instead of doing trying to do it all, we did we did fewer areas, but we did them better. Um, and uh, we actually also started to work with other foundations as partners to increase capacity and impact in the field. Neat. I have, Jan, a ton of follow-up questions. Um, but one just right off the bat that occurs to me is, do you think you would have made that same 
strategic conversation about focusing grants without the downturn, or was it were they, were they did they coincide, or was it was it causal? Uh, they they were targeted uh, according to need, but then, um, like I said, we we were in um, uh, a lot more funding areas than we are now. So we found that there was uh, more uh, we could get more impact if we focused on fewer areas and let um, where other foundations we would go into areas that other foundations were not that weren't so um, saturated with funding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we would make smaller commitments so that uh, we could see, um, because the, um, the economy, the economic outlook just changes on a dime. It seems like every two years, uh, you know, there, uh, there's something else that's happening. Um, so I think the shorter durations actually, I mean, our officers don't like the shorter durations. They like to like this. Um, you know, have have it in a in a certain area, and then you know you don't have to keep doing administrative costs to uh, refund. But um, I'm telling you, I think that the shorter commitments were actually more impactful. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jen. Well, um, and I'm giving you a finance perspective. I'm not a program officer, so. No, well, that's that's yeah, that's okay. All right, well, thank you. So let's move on and um, talk to James. He's next. Yeah, this is James Patterson from uh, the Community Foundation in Northern Illinois. Um, and after the last economic downturn of 2008, we've switched to rather than just taking a year-end um, sort of snapshot and then doing our payout based on that, we went to a 12-quarter uh, sort of rolling average. So you take the last 12 quarters get the uh, amount the payout would be and average that. And um, that has um, greatly reduced the fluctuations in our payout. So in fact, um, this next fiscal year, it looks like we're actually going to have a little bit more than we had during this past fiscal year. Now it will drop some in the the fiscal year beyond that, um, but it does keep it from being, you know, wildly fluctuating. And that's been a help to us. And, and James, I'm wondering if you saw between 2008 and 2020 that the drop that follows when you, that, that you know, follows later because you're extending the average over uh, a longer period of time is made up for in the end. Do you feel like you came into 2020 with, with, with what you need? Do you think that, the, I mean, I'm just wondering sort of if, the, if the rebound is slower too. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the rebound will be slower. There's no question about that. Um, but you know, you replace quarter by quarter, um, and um, you're not um, you're just not going as as low. I think is the the key, or as high, because you know you get used to if the market is really good one year, and you've taken your snapshot from just that one year, you can get sort of used to having you know, a lot of, a lot of additional dollars and then, and so can your grantees. And so then the next year it could be wildly different. And then it looks like you're sort of turning off the tap, so to speak, but, sure. um, but it, it makes it more reassuring. It allows us to plan a little better. And especially um, with regard to um, our multi-year grants, that's really important. Um, and, and, and it helps, the, I think, the committees that are reviewing these, they have a similar amount of money uh, that's available each year. And I think that's uh, uh, 
sort of comforting or, or stabilizing influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I want to make sure that we have time for all three questions. So I'm not going to, my immediate follow-up question is how you, as a community foundation, how you talk to your volunteers and how you budget. And certainly as an operating foundation, that's a different question than some of our organizations. But I think we'll do one more yeah. question or comment on this and then move on to our next topic so we can try to get spend the most time on the topic that was of most interest. So Emily, I think you're next. I'm Emily Crabtree. I'm the executive director of the Laverne Area Community Foundation in Southwest Minnesota. Uh, I just was going to go off a little bit of what James had said. We use a similar model, except we use uh, the last 16 rolling quarters for the same purpose in that when when times are good and we've had those years of of promising returns, you know, um, we pay out anywhere from the lowest at 3% to on, on a series of high years up to 5%, but it still allows us to ensure that there's money to give when times like this hit. And, and like you were alluding to, they do make themselves up, you know, um, over, over the upcoming quarters, those percentages will go down. So in a, in a tough time, there would be at least 3% that would be given out of those endowments um, so we always have some money um, either for the endowed funds um, that have their designation or from our granting funds. Mm-hmm. So it's a, just a really nice, consistent way to to struggle through times like this. Right. And, and especially when, you know, for that 40% of our attendees who are community foundations and we'll see fundraising go up and down to be able to be consistent, I think is, um, you know, a real benefit to the community. So let's, move on to the question where I think most people were interested in talking about, which is balancing immediate community needs. And you may define that differently. Arts funders may look at this a little bit differently than folks who are looking at, you know, sort of essential, essential, but, uh, you know, more basic needs in their community. And then the long-term organizational stability. And this, I think, gets into a couple things we've heard already today, but I'll just start by opening up like that. Um, how are you all thinking about the, the the balance? Okay, yeah, James Patterson Community Foundation in Northern Illinois. Not trying to dominate. I just feel like I have something to say here. So, um, with um, we have a, a COVID response fund, uh, emerging needs fund, that we uh, have uh, worked together with United Way and um, some private foundations uh, to provide some immediate help, um, sort of to the organizations that have boots on the ground that are dealing with the immediate economic issues. And so um, there, there is a little of a bit of a challenge of balancing because the other thing we want to do and we, we fully intend to do when we're collecting dollars to do is to do something that's a little bit more long-term uh, that has to do with recovery and resilience for these organizations. So less to do with them providing services to uh, people in the community, and more of about helping them regain their financial footing. So what we've noticed here lately, the first round that we did of the immediate needs funding, um, of course, you know, went out very quickly. Uh, did not have any problem whatsoever getting applications in uh, for really good, um, really good projects and so on. And it feels like that slowed up just a bit and we're starting to see some of the same things that we've you know, seen in the past. Um, so then we started talking about, is it time to start to pivot to something that's a little more long-term? Because we do know that there have been 
organizations that have already talked to us about that. You know, I mean, as far as um, you know, lost event income, uh, lost fundraiser income, uh, lost ticket sales, um, just any any number of different uh, revenue losses that they're experiencing. So anyway, that's, uh, I guess I'm presenting it as a problem, not as a solution. Um, we haven't figured it out, um, but certainly that's something we're dealing with. Marlene Young, Delaplane Foundation in Frederick, Maryland. And um, we, like the previous speaker, um, are part of a community collaborative effort right now during the pandemic. We um, are one of six core community funders that has gotten together. We've got a unified um, common application that we are using. And in fact, we've called ourselves the COVID-19 collaborative. Um, we are now into our second phase of funding as we've been assessing the emergency needs, which primarily have been food distribution, PPE, um, and again, as the previous uh, spokesperson said, we looked at things like lost revenues, um, decline in personal giving from donors, um, and we had about four areas that applicants could tick for their emergency needs. As I mentioned, we've gone through two phases of um, awarding grants. Grants are still pouring in daily. Um, we have, in within the collaborative, we will soon be announcing um, that we have issued a million dollars in grants. And by the way, within that collaborative, there are three private foundations. There is a United Way, there is our community foundation, um, and then our Women's Giving Circle. So um, we are certainly making an impact. We are getting ready to launch a phase three, but as we are entering phase three, we're coming off of the emergency needs for um, where, where our nonprofit community were really kind of in panic mode. And now we're reeling back to be able to again focus on our independent mission areas of focus within the collaborative so that while we're still joining forces in our giving, each of our foundations, each of our philanthropic organizations are now in phase three, revisiting what are our prime areas of focus. For example, with Delaplane Foundation, that's um, the arts, education, health, human services, historic preservation, and spiritual enlightenment. So by the time we're coming into phase three, we're kind of looking away from the adult diaper um, focus and back to those core areas of focus and impact that are unique to our organization. Great. And Marlene, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit more about what you all are doing later when we get into the collaboration as a strategy when we've got dollars to stretch. But I'm curious if this move between phases has been organic 
Has it been intentional? What sort of triggered you all to say, okay, let's shift from the, the immediate needs to going back to our mission and looking a little more, you know, at more long-term, more at, you know, less at crisis management, more at sort of business as usual, but closer to that. Right. Well, Aaron, I would say that particularly from phase two to phase three, it's been more organic. As I say, from phase one to phase two, we were still very much in panic modes within the nonprofit communities. Um, we are in Frederick, Maryland, still on the rise with our number of confirmed COVID-19 cases. Um, so we have not yet, we haven't yet come down the other side. Um, but we are seeing some leveling out, certainly some flattening of that curve. Um, and so I would say from phase two into now just getting ready to enter phase three, it has been more organic. It has been, as we're seeing folks less in a panic mode and more into saying, okay, our need is still great, but we are able to access a number of resources and we have our boots on the ground strategies refined that we're better able to cope. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to me. Hi, uh, this is Alexis Whittem with the Latino Community Foundation of Colorado. Um, so we're a pretty small foundation. We're not endowed. Um, so we have um, individual donations and then also have support as an intermediary philanthropic organization from larger foundations, Um, but we have really strong relationships directly with our grantees. So, you know, one of the things we did was immediately started phone calls to our grantees and gathering data of what they needed um, before sort of deciding what our COVID grant making strategy would be, and then came up with kind of a three-pronged approach. So one is financial, and then secondarily is um, sort of capacity building webinars and other resources for executive directors at small nonprofits, Latino-led and serving nonprofits, and immigrant and refugee serving nonprofits in Colorado um, to kind of build on what they think they need in order to survive this. And so we're, we're guiding topics on that. And then third, um, sort of calling resources because people are really overwhelmed with the number of resources not sure about Spanish language resources, not sure about resources that are available um, for immigrants or um, undocumented folks. So um, that's sort of the direction we've taken. And then we not only made those phone calls, we um, had our first two rounds of funding. The first one was for just technology, like $2,500 mini grants, um, only open to orgs that had been previously funded and just a 15 minute application. So those have already gone out. Um, And then we have a second sort of 15-minute application, once again, sort of a closed process only to previously granted folks in the last um, years of the organization. Um, And they, uh, that one's finishing up as well. And then we'll be doing open applications for round three, probably in the summer. Um, So we've just really tried to think about uh, the, what long-term needs for stability did they think that they need and then guiding our strategy from that and, so that's, um, that's sort of been our approach. And Alexis, was it really just an open-ended question? What do you need long-term? Or were, there, were you really trying to dig in with each organization you spoke with? You know, we had a lot of pre-existing personal relationships. I will tell you, I didn't end up making any of the phone calls, um, partially because I'm monolingual and partially because I didn't have those pre-existing relationships. But we have two 
licensed social workers on staff. So they tried to make um, questions that allowed for a bit of a deeper, like, how are you doing? How is this affecting you? Are you, are your volunteers experiencing this? Because a lot of the organizations we serve that are, you know, operating budgets of 500,000 or less and um, Latino led in serving and immigrant and refugee serving, you know, they are experiencing the problems personally that their constituents are experiencing. So I would say we came from like a more emotional place than most organizations <laughs> would in those questions. But um, I think that's why we get the types of answers from our grantees that other funders don't necessarily get is, you know, having a language in Spanish, or I'm sorry, having the conversation in Spanish when necessary, or just having a willingness to ask a question for someone as, who's both a person and an executive director, rather than um, sure. just like, tell me the nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot I want to dive into, but I want to make sure we're moving forward to the one thing I will say that just stands out to me is that when we first started the COVID coffee talks, there was a lot of discussion of here's how we learned about the community needs. And oh my gosh, we didn't think about domestic violence. And oh my gosh, we didn't think about adult diapers. There were these things that kind of came up, but it seems like there is, and it was almost like an information gathering phase. It seems like that information gathering may still be really relevant for people moving from, um, you know, what Marlene called phase two to phase three or phase three to phase four. There is this sort of this model and looking at disaster philanthropy, but the idea of when you shift too long-term, we may need to, whether it's a survey or a conversation, look at assessing needs again. Anyway. For us at LCFC, I mean, it's also just changing quickly. Like folks are finding food banks are great right now. They're like, we don't need food. We're fine. We're worried about rent. Um, but that may be different in two months, right? Because there's these national stories about shortages at food banks. So um, it's just, it's moving really quickly. Sure. All right. All right. Well, sorry for, uh, so thank you very much for Alexis for contributing. I think it's interesting. Uh, let's go on to Serena. Sorry, I didn't, we, so we get this order right. Um, Serena, you're up. <laughs> My name's Serena. I'm with Autism Speaks in New York. Um, and we actually, uh, a bunch of my grant programs were either canceled or postponed uh, in the immediate wake of this. We actually give out pretty small grants to service organizations and um, we grant organizations in a very wide range from universities and hospitals and museums to really small rural um, service providers. So those unfortunately were postponed for now and we've shifted um, to help our immediate community by giving cash to families affected by autism. So um, we usually have, a, we always have a program that runs year round for families, but um, in the wake of natural disasters like hurricanes, et cetera, we always give out cash to families that reach out to us. And of course, this is a disaster with the COVID. So um, we activated a special um, cash assistance program. So that's actually where our needs have just completely shifted in terms of our fundraising and our grant making is just simply helping families so that they can buy groceries, pay the rent, et cetera. Um, but, you know, and maybe this is more for the, the third one about uh, supporting grantees when needs exceed resources, but I'd like to know about ways um, in which we can help those service organizations that we're no longer funding because a lot of them are gonna end up closing their doors. Um, I'm sure that might be, you know, 
think something that happens to all of uh, your grantee, to, to some of your grantees as well, where some of these organizations are just not going to be able to pull through this at all. Um, so, you know, how, how to support them, because right now I feel sort of helpless. Um, I'm happy that we can help families, but, you know, in terms of the organizations, we just don't have the funds right now to give them these larger grants that we usually do. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear any insight or, you know, advice on how we can uh, help grantees non-monetarily and, and any strategies that uh, you all are utilizing. Yeah, let's definitely plan on getting into that with that third question. Um, and, and I think that you're probably not alone in shifting some funds from organizations to individuals. On this call, there are you know, a number of community foundations, and we, we certainly see it found community foundations that have, in addition to more traditional grant-making programs, funds set aside for immediate relief, whether it's given directly to individuals or given to organizations that pass that on. So I wouldn't be surprised if other people are making that shift. Um, let's go ahead to keep things moving. We've got a bunch of hands raised and go to our next caller. Thanks, Serena. So hello, everyone. Um, so I'm Allie and I'm, I'm kind of outside of the traditional mix here because I work for a local government. So I work for the city of Rockville in Maryland and that's just outside of the DC area. Um, so we're technically... We're suburban, but technically urban because our population is almost 70,000 people. Um, so what I do is I run the Human Services Grants, um, which is an annual grant. Um, we give out about 700,000 in grants um, that range from 7,000 to 107,000. Um, so that's for um, nonprofits that are providing human services to residents. So that's shelters, um, food service providers, um, things like that. So um, what we felt like we could do to support our grantees is um, we were hearing from our grantees a lot back in mid-March um, because our state started closing down a bit earlier than other states. And we were hearing that um, they were going to miss like upcoming galas and lose a lot of revenue. So what we ended up doing is um, we have a quarterly invoicing process for our grants. So what we did was we just released the rest of the funds from this year because they were due to be released in June anyways. So we felt like the best way we could support our grantees was by just releasing the funds a bit early um, and giving them some flexibility on reporting. So. Um, for instance, there was a report due on the 15th. We allowed a little bit of flexibility on those due dates. And then the other thing that we're planning to do and we have done is um, just advocating to our mayor and council um, for future funding to not be, be um, affected by the budgetary cuts because um, what they've been doing is having to reevaluate our budget because much of our our funds come from tax revenue, which is obviously going to be impacted. And then I also wanted to share that of something we did since 2008. Um, so we run an emergency assistance program for rental and utility shutoffs. Um, so what we learned from 2008 is that um, you never know when a really big crisis is going to come up and you'll need those additional funds. So what we did was 
Um, we have a partnership with a nonprofit and um, they do kind of, we do like the applications for emergency assistance from our residents and then they handle the financial payout so that because of our procurement and like government is slow with financials. So we partnered with them to um, disperse the funds. And then what we did was any leftover funds from the end of the year was put into a separate account for like an emergency situation. So we actually have been growing that account since 2008. So we have a little bit of buffer for our residents that need it. Great. Thank you. Well, okay, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you, Allie. Thanks very much. Um, I'm Ann Homestead. I'm kind of wearing two hats on this call. I, um, I'm the executive director for a small public foundation. So we raise the money that we give out related to mental health and suicide prevention. And I'm also president of a women's collective giving organization called Impact 100 Greater Milwaukee. And there are Impact 100s maybe in some of your cities as well. We give large $100,000 uh, grants out um, through a, a collective process. So um, one of the things that um, I've been trying to do is, and this maybe gets to what Lawrence was saying as well, um, is use this as an opportunity for both our um, grant review volunteers in my Impact 100 capacity and the grant review committee and our board that I work with at our foundation um, to um, really make a point about why it is important not to completely fund new projects all the time. And that I think this situation that we're in now really gives us a chance, a teaching moment to talk about why it's important to support the, the core mission critical parts of um, what our grantees do. Um, and now it seems like is the time to um, relax if we can, our reporting requirements, our timeframes, our application processes, and to, um, if we're able, give them more flexibility in how they spend the money that they've been Yep. Um, final topic today is supporting organizations when, 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 when you know that their needs go beyond what you can fund. And when we were, you know, Meredith and I were talking about this, the kinds of things we were thinking of were non-monetary grants, partnering among funders. What kind of supports are you offering? Have you considered offering to people? I mean, there's, there's no magic bullet here, but we're interested in hearing what people are doing. Um, go ahead and raise your hand if you have thoughts. If you want to tell us about partnerships, if you have particular questions. Yes, my name is Sally Skies Helly, and I am uh, the director of the Skies Family Foundation, a small uh, family foundation that uh, grants internationally. And one thing we did last week, we weren't sure how it was going to go, but we uh, convened a video meeting with as many grantee partners that wanted to join. And it went extremely well. It, just a, for just kind of a, you know, cry on your shoulder kind of thing. Um, they all are geographically in different locations and um, some different missions, but pretty much pretty close in size. So they were able to just, we kind of just sat back and let them go. And they talked about the challenges they were facing. And there was some real 
good collaboration between them and they could go off and talk about how they're communicating with their clients with radio instead of if they don't, if they don't have internet connection. And so there was these kind of organic um, collaborations that sprung up that, um, and they want to do it again next month. So uh, they, they seem to get a lot out of it. We were kind of concerned about, you know, putting another burden on them a meeting they felt like they had to take. Um, but uh, we had 90% attendance of all of our grantees and, um, and it, it was very helpful, I think. So that's one way of a non-monetary type of support, just the moral support of, of those partners. Absolutely. And it gets a little bit back to the relationships we have with our grantees and the, what Alexis was talking about. But um, it, sounds inter- it, it, it sounds good good to me, too, that you're thoughtful of putting a burden on people because we've certainly seen convenings held by funders that when you talk to grantees off the record, they'll tell you something different. So it, it sounds like you guys are doing it right. Um, got a couple, maybe call one more call or one more. And we got a couple hands raised. I don't know if we can get them to them both, but let's go ahead and take our next speaker. Hey there. Um, I guess the non-monetary support slash collaboration that I can highlight actually involved, uh, GLM, um, and you guys indirectly. So we were able to partner our local community foundation which ordinarily does have a small grant-making um, component, but is usually able to do that with you know, email and um, some pretty simple applications. They put together a relief fund for our county. And um, so I was able to work with them to utilize um, our GLM software for them to accept applications from individuals and nonprofit organizations in order to better um, handle and manage those applications. And so um, pretty quickly was able to work with our, um, our CSM and get some, a couple of applications up. I was able to help train their, the community foundations um, uh, personnel as well as their grant review committee on um, how to you know do some simple evaluations and run some things and now they've been running the applications through our software um, and you know the hope is that this is a relief fund so it's going to be something that will be around during sort of the emergency time <clears throat> for the COVID-19 but um, so it was just a little something that helped increase the capacity of the community foundation so that they could better handle the grant applications that they were doing. Um, and uh, it was just a little something we could do to help. Sure. And, and I would encourage those of you who are our clients and are in collaborations to reach out to your client success managers. We've done some work to help people in their sites kind of wall off grants so you can have people from different funders using the same site without uh, without maybe the privacy concerns you might worry about. Um, I'm afraid, I know we have one more hand up, but I'm afraid we are running out of time. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for asking questions. Thank you for taking in all the information. We know that everyone is sometimes siloed and working on a set of really big problems, usually without what you'd like in terms of resources. So we appreciate the time you give this. We learn a lot from it. And um, I hope it's been helpful just in terms of giving you some reassurance that there are others out here, not unlike 
um, what you might be doing with your grantees. So thank you everyone for joining. We look forward to seeing you at the next Coffee Talk. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 